Top 10 Common Financial Mistakes Made by Brand New Grads or Financial Novices This is one of the scenarios where I would urge you know, physicians in their first five years of practice not to imitate what your senior physicians are doing. This is not one of those cases where you see one, do one, teach one. And this is definitely not one of those cases where you monkey see, monkey do. At the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. And unless someone tells you what you don't know, you will never realize what you actually do not know. If you think that education is expensive, then try ignorance. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am excited to have you guys back on How's My Financial Health, Doc? podcast. Today we're going to be talking about common top 10 financial mistakes made by brand new grads and financial novices, people who don't have much financial literacy and are doing things here and there and accidentally hoping to achieve financial security. What really pushed me to do this podcast is that I constantly and persistently see the exact same thing with brand new grads or with people who are not brand new grads but have been practicing for a while uh, but still making the same mistakes because of the lack of financial literacy knowledge. With this podcast, uh, today's show, I'm hoping to highlight some of the common mistakes made and hopefully the audience can see um, some of the things that are being discussed and maybe realize that they belong in this category and hopefully can um, make the necessary changes that uh, are important for their financial security. At the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. And unless someone tells you what you don't know, you will never realize what you actually do not know and keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. By the time you realize that you now know and have been making all these mistakes for all these years, we're talking about 10, 15, maybe 20 years down the road, it is too late to turn back time. So today, this episode is really to highlight some of the top 10 common things healthcare professionals are doing that is not very healthy for their financial security and well-being. So why don't we just uh, dive in and talk about the top common financial mistakes made by brand new grads. And I'm doing this uh, without any particular order. I think all of these mistakes are actually very important. Mistake number one. Forgetting what they have learned throughout their lives and their education. I would think that most healthcare professionals, whether we are talking about physicians, nurses, dentists, uh, optometrists, chiropractors, physio, it doesn't matter. I think all healthcare professionals have made significant sacrifices to get to where they are. They've studied hard, um, work hard. A lot of them deferred gratification, had lots of discipline and perseverance over time. These are the type of qualities that most healthcare professionals have developed and lived with throughout their entire student life. The discipline and the sacrifices 
are what got them to success, to where they are now. But as soon as they graduate, um, they forget exactly what they've learned. I can definitely understand. I mean, they go from a student salary, uh, sometimes making no salary, having to work to pay for tuition, to all of a sudden going into residency and making a small amount and making a salary, to all of a sudden being a staff and potentially making 10, 15, 20 times, depending on the specialty, to what they were earning before as residents or as interns and students. So you can imagine it's like uh, giving a child $50 and shoving them into a candy store. So now you imagine this brand new grad um, making potentially 15, 20 times what they were earning before last year, and now all of a sudden coming into a good income, a good money, and all the deferred gratification and all the discipline that was learned throughout the years have now all of a sudden just disappeared because they have come into money. And now all of a sudden it is about immediate gratification. We feel that because we have deferred gratification for so long, we have a justification to now splurge and spend that money. Because we've been starved for so long, this is now the time to actually go out and splurge. Unfortunately, it is a very, very common sentiment, and it's a dangerous one as well. But the real danger is the fact that uh, we are not aware of it. It's very insidious, and it comes on over time because we see our peers doing it. And so therefore, we follow. Most brand new grads fail the what I call the adult marshmallow test. And if you recall, the children's marshmallow test was conducted in a Stanford study in 1972. What that study was, it was an experiment where they were studying delayed gratification. It was an experiment led by psychologist Walter Mischel, a professor at Stanford University. In this study, a child was offered a choice between one small but immediate reward or two small rewards if they waited for a period of time. During this test, the researcher left the room for about 15 minutes and then returned. The reward was either a marshmallow or a pretzel stick, depending on the child's preference. The researchers found that children who were able to wait longer for the preferred rewards tended to have better life outcomes as measured by SAT scores, educational attainment, body mass index, or other life measures. So brand new grads who cannot delay um, immediate gratification can potentially fall into the same trap as these little kids uh, and potentially over the long run do much less better than their counterparts who can delay gratification. Some of the examples that I see in immediate gratifications are like uh, buying a brand new uh, sports car or a luxury car uh, the moment they graduate or uh, buy a brand new house uh, in very luxurious neighborhoods or big houses in very luxurious neighborhoods. Some take very lavish vacations and reward themselves that way. Others do very expensive renovations to their homes. I am sure you can think of thousands of ways someone can spend money immediately uh, and splurge uh, the moment they come into money. So the first mistake is forgetting the long life lessons that we've learned over our student life of deferred gratification. The second common financial mistake made is keeping up with the Joneses. Once they buy the car or they buy the new house, they now have to furnish the new house with very expensive furniture. And God forbid that I'm seen in public uh, with a brand new sports car, but a very rundown house. And so therefore they feel the need that they need to buy a brand new house in a very brand new neighborhood or luxurious neighborhood because I now need to belong. I will tell you a very funny story of when I graduated. 
and people telling me that I should buy a golf set because physicians play golf. And so I did. I bought a golf set. And to this day, 20 years later, I've used the golf set maybe five times. And to be honest, I bought it because I was told that I needed to buy it. And also I was told that doctors golf and I wanted to belong. And so brand new grads are very influenced by these types of comments. And so because they want to belong, they'll listen to other physicians and other colleagues who are their superior and do the things that they do. Monkey see, monkey do. And so therefore, when they see their superiors or their seniors driving nice cars, living in nice neighborhoods, having nice houses, it is just natural that people will follow. And unfortunately, it may not be the time for them. For the brand new grads, their focus is very different than someone who's more senior and has been more established. Here, I use the examples of physicians, but physicians are definitely not the only one doing this. Nurses are doing this, optometrists, chiropractors, physios, every single brand new grad, with, irrespective of their profession, are looking up to the seniors to guide them, especially when it comes to financial literacy. And so it is not surprising that when we follow our seniors that we tend to spend more because they spend more. Uh, that's because they may be making more or have been more financially established. And so the consequences are that we are keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, but unfortunately, we may not be in the position to keep up with the Joneses. And in fact, keeping up with the Joneses is actually bad for us financially because we really don't know the financial background of the people that we are following. They may be doing very well uh, on the surface, but actually may be drowning in debt. We don't know that. They are most likely in a very different financial situation than we are. And so us trying to imitate them is fraught with dangers. Which leads me to another point here, is that the younger generation is following what the older generations are doing. And unfortunately, those older generations may not be doing what is financially appropriate either. If you look at the study performed by MD Financial that was published about two years ago, you notice that the mean test score for physicians in financial literacy barely passes 54%. What that means is that close to 50% of physicians, whether they are new to practice, in mid-practice or later years in practice, do not understand financial literacy. And so therefore, you now have the blind leading the blind. And God forbid, if you are a brand new grad and you're following one of those who are in fact blind to financial literacy, you yourself will be following in the same footsteps and get yourself into financial trouble. Well, one may argue, Vu, you know what? We make a good income. We will never be in financial trouble. And my answer to that is you're probably right, but life will throw us curveballs. Uh, and you never know when those curveballs will hit you. And so to be financially secure is actually quite difficult to achieve. And now let's assume that you do achieve financial security. Now, had you made the appropriate steps, you probably achieve financial security much earlier than later and prevented you from working those crazy hours. So if anything, having good financial literacy background and understanding will avoid you from burning out because of the type of work or the long hours of work that you may be doing or need to do just to keep up. So it doesn't matter how you cut it, whichever way you want to cut it. If you're following the blind and then you are going to put yourself in financial trouble or if not in health trouble because of burnout or potentially in marital trouble because of divorce. That same MD financial study shows that financially speaking, many physicians aren't where they thought they'd be by now. 40% of medical residents, 42% of physicians with zero to five years of experience, 35% for physicians with six to 15 years of experience, and 33% of physicians with more than 16 years of experience. Now imagine that one third of senior physicians are not financially where they think they should be. 
that is an astounding number, given the fact that physicians and most healthcare professionals make a good income. How did they get themselves there is partly explained by immediate gratification and the lack of proper financial planning when they were young. Two more findings that I find really revealing from this survey is that financial priorities are of twofold. One, tax planning is a major issue over time. And two, managing money is always a balancing act. And so therefore, this concept of deferred gratification is at the root of this balance in managing money. And unfortunately, we start with the wrong foot uh, the moment we graduate. And so now, mistake number three. Brand new grads, or even not so brand new grads, physicians and healthcare professionals live and conduct their professional lives like they were teenagers. What do I mean by that? Physicians and most healthcare professionals think that they are immortal and so behave like it. In fact, I find that very odd. Being healthcare professionals, we deal with illness and death on a daily basis, but yet it doesn't seem to click with healthcare professionals that they themselves are mortal and are subject to the same illness and risk of death. I have many colleagues who drive very expensive and luxurious cars, who own massive, huge mansions, who send their kids to private school, and sometimes it's three, four kids to private school, but yet for some reason do not have the proper insurances, like life insurance, critical illness, or disability. The most common argument that I get is that these insurances cost too much. But I think they fail to realize that by paying this amount of money, they are transferring the risk to the insurance company instead of taking on the risk burden onto themselves. There could be a few explanations as to why they want to take on the risk onto themselves. One is they think that this may never happen to them. And like teenagers, we are never going to die or nothing bad is going to happen to us. Or two, they're happy to take on the risk. Either way, it's not a very smart thing to do. So maybe they don't think like teenagers, but they definitely behave like them. Maybe that thought of omnipotence is what's stopping them from paying a small amount of money to protect themselves against great catastrophes. And that is why I say healthcare professionals behave like teenagers. Okay, so now let's move on to mistake number four. This mistake revolves around the fact that most healthcare professionals, at least brand new grads, do not save early enough and do not invest early enough. In that same MD financial survey, in fact, what they found is that across the board, all respondents wish they knew more about investing. If we broke it down to a little bit granularity, Physicians with 6 to 15 years of experience, 44% wish they knew more. And physicians with over 16 years of experience, still 34% wish they knew more. And it is not surprising that among medical residents and physicians with 0 to 5 years of experience, close to 60% wish they knew more about investing. And so if you don't know much about investing, it is quite intimidating to start investing. And maybe for that reason, most brand new grads do not invest. In fact, most physicians in their first 10 years of practice do not invest or save. And I will maybe dwell a little bit later into why that is. There is one particular factor that pushes physicians not to save. Again, I keep saying physicians, but it all applies to all healthcare professionals. Another common mistake in this same category is the fact that most of us uh, healthcare professionals do not know the difference between saving and investing. And because of that very little knowledge that we have, it is quite intimidating 
uh, to embark into those type of behaviors because we don't know what we don't know and what we don't know scares us. But unfortunately for some of us who don't know and don't get scared are risk takers. Those who don't know and are scared are paralyzed. And so we don't do it. But I think the major factor is from mistake number five. And that is from the fact that all brand new healthcare professionals, physicians included, like to pay off debt very, very vigorously. This is obviously not news to you when I say that most healthcare professionals to get to where they are have accumulated a significant amount of student debt or life debt that needs to be paid off throughout their lifetime. And so emotionally, it bears a heavy weight on our psychology. And it is natural that we don't like that and want to pay it off as soon as possible. And society also tells us that we should not like it either. All one has to do is listen to the different financial gurus out there that tells us debt is bad. Well, those gurus are smarter than I am, so they must be right. But are they? Are they really talking about debt and its different facets of debt? Because there are such a thing as good debt and bad debts. And being in debt in of itself is not a bad thing. It just depends on whether you have a good debt or a bad debt and what strategy are you using. The most common scenario are that brand new grads and physicians and healthcare professionals in the early years of practice are vigorously paying down their debt, but forget about savings or investing. And sometimes it may take up to five, 10 years to pay off their debt. But unfortunately, those are five, 10 years of lost opportunity to compound interest and grow wealth. Now, if you think about it, the interest rate for the debt may be somewhere in the three or 4% or even 5%. That's the interest that you pay on that loan. But you may be able to get through savings or through investing a nine or 10% compounded interest year after year. And so the interest made outweighs the interest that needs to be paid. And so for that reason, if one doesn't start early to save or invest, that 10 years of opportunity is lost opportunity that can never be gained back. That spread difference between the interest made versus the interest to be paid out that spread of potentially four or 5% is lost forever because it's never used to compound. So if you imagine that you start working at the age of 30 or 32, and it takes you 10 years to pay off that debt, and you start saving or investing at the age of 40, well, it's never gonna be as good as someone who's able to start saving or investing at the age of 32 or 35. Those 10 years lost can never be recuperated because the power of compounding is lost. So I'm not saying that we should not pay down debt. What I am saying is not to focus only on pay down debt. One needs to focus as well on investing and saving at an early age. And in fact, immediately the moment one becomes staff because the years lost are never recuperable. It is a question of finding the balance between paying off debt and saving and investing for the future. And some, some of this can get quite complicated and may need a financial advisor to help guide you in this process. But the message is this, strike a balance between paying down debt and saving, investing for the future. Focusing on paying debt alone is definitely detrimental to your financial security. So now let's move on to mistake number seven, and that is a lack of risk mitigation. 
I kind of alluded to this earlier when I mentioned about um, healthcare professionals living like they were teenagers. It is important whether we are in early career, mid-career, or late career to properly uh, mitigate risk and the different life curveballs that are going to be thrown at us. And having insurance products to help mitigate that is crucial. It is very curious that we have no trouble in purchasing home insurance or car insurance, but we do have a lot of trouble in purchasing insurance to cover ourselves. Maybe that is because the law makes us purchase car insurance and the bank makes us purchase home insurance. No one makes us purchase life insurance, disability, and critical illness insurance. Maybe that's what it will take for people to understand the importance of them. In speaking to a lot of my colleagues, I know that there are still a few of them that do not have crit critical illness or disability or even life insurance, despite the fact that they now have dependents and family to care for. And so this particular financial mistake is definitely not applicable to brand new grads. Okay, so we're now to uh, mistake number seven. And this mistake comes back to what I said earlier about the blind leading the blind. And the um, MD financial survey that showed that even as seasoned practitioners, many of us, in fact, more than 50% are not where we are financially and where we should be. And that financial literacy among seasoned practitioners is still roughly about 50%. Due to the lack of financial literacy uh, training throughout our career and to get to where we are as healthcare professionals, it is very unlikely that any one of us have received any financial literacy training in high school, in college, in undergrad, or even in postgrad. That is simply not what these programs are designed for. They are designed to put out healthcare professionals, not financial professionals. And so therefore, I can't blame these programs for not giving us financial literacy. But the outcome is the same, is the fact that we now have brand new grads listening to seasoned practitioners who themselves do not know what they're doing, at least at more than 50% of us. So our seasoned practitioners are doing the wrong thing our seniors are doing the wrong thing, and we are teaching the new grads the wrong thing. It is not surprising that many new grads are making all the mistakes that they are making. We are to blame for that. And when I say we, I mean those of us who have been in practice for at least 10, 15 years, and even longer. Many of us, I'm talking about the seasoned practitioners, uh, think we know what we're doing when in fact we don't. Because I keep saying the same thing. We don't know what we don't know. And the little things that we know is actually not enough and actually quite harmful. Stephen Hawking said it best. The greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, but the illusion of knowledge. So if we think we know when we don't, that is the most dangerous thing. But yet, we have no problem in teaching our brand new generation the exact same ignorance that we have. And so if we give our new generation the exact same knowledge, we are not really helping them. And we are, in fact, paving the same fate as we have lived. So if brand new grads really want to succeed financially and be financially secure at an earlier age than most of the seasoned practitioners that they've been working with, then they need to recognize when the seasoned practitioner actually does not know what they are talking about. Brand new grads, and I would say in the first five years of practice, need to refute what some of the seasoned practitioners have been saying and doing. Otherwise, they would just follow down the same path of hard working hours, running on the hamster treadmill, and never getting ahead financially, but more importantly, not knowing how to manage and balance 
money. This is one of the scenarios where I would urge, you know, physicians in their first five years of practice not to imitate what your senior physicians are doing. This is not one of those cases where you see one, do one, teach one. And this is definitely not one of those cases where you monkey see, monkey do. Well, the question is, what should I do then, Vu? Well, the answer should be, I should get some basic financial literacy knowledge. I should investigate. I should ask questions. I need to ask questions and I need to challenge current assumptions and make sure that whatever I'm learning from the more seasoned generation is actually true and effective. And I can also hire an advisor to help me with the complicated financial issues and not be afraid to uh, pay for some of these uh, services. I recommend that everyone read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. At the beginning of his book, he mentions why he's always enthusiastic of paying good money to attend workshops and courses. And that is because even though these workshops and courses are expensive, they are less expensive than the financial mistakes that he'll make throughout his life had he not learned the proper way to do things. His other comment is that it avoids him from reading hundreds and hundreds of books and spending hours and hours of his time to learn the things that he can learn in a course or in a workshop. And as I've mentioned many times before, the only two true assets we have are one, our health, and two, time. And once you've wasted time, you can no longer get it back. The saying, time is money, is very true. If you want to save on money, be prepared to dedicate time. But if you want to save on time, then you need to dedicate the money. There's really no two ways about it. A lot of people that I know are unwilling to pay to learn about financial literacy. They just feel like, this should be given free for them, and they're unwilling to spend the money to learn. If you think that education is expensive, then try ignorance. Ignorance will end up being much more expensive over the long run, over the 10, 15, 20, or 40 years. And this is a good segue to lead me into mistake number eight and nine. And I think they both go together. So mistake number eight would be to do it yourself without really understanding the basic financial principles and the financial planning principles. And number nine, which relates to number eight, trying to do it yourself, the DIYers out there, is to focus mainly on cost and being as cheap as you can. While I have no objection at all, in uh, trying to control cost and fees. I believe that focusing mainly on cost is actually the wrong thing to do. The issue and the focus is not on cost, but on value. And so needing to figure out if what we have purchased or what we have done, or is our strategy bringing us value or just bringing us lower cost. If we strive for value, then it may cost us more than the less expensive option, but at least it brings us value. If we focus only on cost and fees, then we may miss out on the value part and in the long run is financially extremely detrimental. And unfortunately, one does not realize that until 30 or 40 years later when it is no time to regret. So what are the common examples that I see all the time uh, focusing on cost and fees? One clear example is one, 
a lot of my colleagues refuse to purchase disability insurance because it costs too much, but fail to realize the value that it brings in time of catastrophe. The second example would be the purchase of life insurance. Many of my colleagues choose categorically to only purchase term life insurance. And the main reason are twofold. One, it really is very inexpensive. And two, they avoid buying permanent whole life insurance because they do not want the advisors to make the commission. While this is true in terms of how much the life insurance costs, it is very short-sighted thinking because the permanent life insurance has a totally different indications and usage other than life insurance itself. And so the value is actually hidden inside the cash value. And for that, one must pay the advisor fee for it or the commission for it. At the end of the day, it will cost more than the life, the term life insurance, but the value that it adds to the overall financial security, wealth, and total net worth is not something that is easily discounted. So when my colleagues tell me that they are buying term life insurance because it is cheap, they are actually not seeing the forest for the tree. And what they are not seeing is the overall picture that is aligned with a strategy. In fact, what most of them are doing are doing haphazard financial planning and very accidental with no intention or purpose. Unfortunately, this is one of those things where people are listening to the more quote unquote wiser seasoned physician who told them to do term life insurance and invest the rest without truly understanding the pitfalls of that strategy and also without understanding the value of a different strategy, which is the one with whole life, permanent life insurance. Finally, a third example of going cheap is to go with the new robo-advisors, such as Questrade or Wealthsimple. And again, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against doing self-directed accounts. I actually have a few self-directed accounts myself. But one needs to understand the value that it brings, but also the pitfalls that it brings. And if we only invest in self-directed accounts without thinking about the tax implications and the tax impact 20, 30 years down the road, for some of us, this may actually be the wrong thing to do. If it is the only thing we do, thinking it's the right tactic to do. Unfortunately, a self-directed account and low fees needs to be part of a bigger overall financial strategy. And so let me be clear about this. I have no problem with robo-advisors and low-fee self-directed investment accounts, but they need to be aligned with an overall bigger, broader financial strategy. The low fees provide an immediate value and benefit. However, they do come with significant, powerful tax implications and impact at the end of the day, a time of retirement. And so it is important not to discount that. Otherwise, one can get a very, very big surprise at the end, a time of withdrawal. And I'm going to remind the audience that for most healthcare professionals, the issue is not so much accumulation. Our problem is a tax burden problem, which is a withdrawal at the end problem. And so if we approach this financial planning with an accumulation strategy in mind, without thinking about the tax implications at time with withdrawal, then one will have a significant, very unpleasant surprise. 30, 40 years down the line. 
And so now we are coming to our 10th most common financial mistakes made by brand new grads or novices. And that is not understanding the fees. While some of us are preoccupied by fees and trying to go cheap, the rest of us actually don't understand the fees and are actually overpaying. And so we have problems on both sides of the coin. Many of us are still purchasing active managed mutual funds, which have high MERs. MERs stand for managed expense ratio. So essentially that's the cost to manage that particular fund. And so many of us are still purchasing mutual funds that are actively managed by portfolio managers and they charge us a certain fee. And that fee is what the MER is about. And so a lot of the fees are somewhere between 1.5 to 2.3% per year. Canada has mutual funds with the highest MERs in the world. And Canadians are paying the most for mutual funds in the entire world. In comparison to our US uh, neighbors, they pay one third to one half of what we pay. In addition to the MERs, there are other hidden fees that consumers are not aware of. For example, there are some front end load mutual funds where we pay fees at the time of purchase. And there are some deferred sales charges, which we call DSC mutual funds, where we get penalized if we didn't hold the fund for a certain time period. Another aspect of actively managed mutual funds are the fact that they are managed by portfolio managers. And these portfolio managers try to figure out what the market is doing and buying and selling different stocks within that portfolio. Every time they sell a stock, it triggers a tax on the capital gains. This type of buying and selling is called a turnover. And in an active managed fund, the turnover for one year could be as high as 80 to 90%, which means that within that year, close to 80 to 90% of the stocks within that portfolio has been sold and bought. And every time a portfolio manager does that, it triggers tax and those taxes are passed on to the investor, i.e. you and I. They are not paid by the firm nor the portfolio manager. And so there are a lot of fees that are hidden that are not described in the MER. In addition to the fees to boot, if your mutual fund does well, your portfolio managers get paid through the MER. But if your mutual fund does horribly and the market tanked by 10-15%, your portfolio manager still gets paid through the MER. So whether it is a sunny day or a rainy day for your mutual fund, you still have to pay the fees. And the only person losing is you, the investor. So beware of the fees that you are paying on your mutual funds like interest that is compounded for growth, fees are also compounded and actually reduces your overall net worth of your portfolio. Fees compounded over time are a great destroyer of financial wealth. I will not discuss the different options that are possible to go around this issue. There are many products on the market that will avoid fees or at least avoid high fees. It's not the discussion for today, but keep listening to these podcasts and uh, I will discuss there several solutions to manage investment fees. Understanding the fees, where they come from, how do they present, how are they manifested and how much is extremely important to the overall health of your portfolio. Fees and costs are extremely important to understand in the overall financial wellness and security. But don't make the mistake of being too cheap and just going with low cost without understanding value. 
And on the other side, don't neglect the fees and the costs and their impact on your overall portfolio performance. So what I'm saying at the end of the day is one needs at least some basic financial literacy and clear understanding of fees, cost, and value. So there you have it, boys and girls. We've completed our 10 most common financial mistakes made by brand new grads or novices. But what is a top 10 list if we don't have a number 11? So the 11th most common financial mistake is playing the market because everybody else is doing it and it is sexy. Many of my colleagues, whether they are brand new grads or even in their mid-career, are heavily invested into the market uh, because it is fun. Um, it's nice to see a 20 or 25% growth in their investment. Um, or it is fun to invest in Tesla or Apple or even RBC and uh, TD Bank. While it is uh, enjoyable to see those uh, stocks rise, it is also painful to see those stocks uh, drop. And the market is unpredictable. It is not rational. It will go up and it will go down. Now, I'll give it to you that the likelihood that the market will go up is uh, more likely than it will go down. So all, for every 10 years, seven years, it tends to go up and three years, it tends to go down. We just don't know when that will happen. Investing is really not a uh, safe saving. Investing is really gambling. And I guess that's why most people like to play into the market because it feeds into our gambling needs somewhat. So the mistake is really from the fact that many of the brand new grads that I've spoken to are in the market way before they should be. And a lot of them have not planned and set up their financial foundation. Many of them still do not have emergency funds, no life insurance, no disability insurance, no critical illness insurance, no way to mitigate risk in the event of life catastrophes. It is my personal opinion that those need to be set up and planned before investing into the market, which is really on the third echelon of the financial order of operation for financial success. So definitely not a first step, but it is not unusual and uncommon to see brand new grads or even practitioners, seasoned practitioners to have only investments in the market, but no foundation built. I can understand why there are numerous factors that explain this. We listen to our colleagues who just bought a brand new sexy stock, or we've heard on BNN or any of these news outlets that says that we should invest to, into XYZ stocks because of the current market situation. And so we want a silver bullet, a quick get rich scheme. And so we buy into it. In fact, we are no different from the general population. But what makes it worse for us is that we have more to lose because we can put more into our investments and into the market. But the question that I have for everyone is, given the fact that we make a good income, a stable income, do we really need to play that chance and to risk into the market before we actually have our foundation set up? Do we need that silver bullet? And do we need a get rich fast scheme? Do we need to play that risky game right from the get go? Well, you know my answer. I don't think that we do. And this is my own personal opinion. And so there you have it. These are most common mistakes made in the first few years of practice. And if we're not aware of these mistakes, the impact are irreparable. What most people don't realize is that the financial decisions made in your first five years of practice have tremendous financial impact on your mid-career and your late career and your retirement. 
And so most people do not realize that financial stress actually do bring on burnout in mid-career and late career. And so it's very important to make good financial decisions right from the get-go. And bad financial mistakes can definitely increase the risk of burnout in your entire career and lifespan. This is why it's absolutely crucial and primordial to put our best foot forward um, right from the get-go, or at least in the first five years of practice, because that's where the compounding can start. And uh, if we don't do this right in the first five years and we let time pass, then we have lost the opportunity to harness the power of compounding. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what I do, uh, but I work very hard for it. And a lot of the times um, I feel exhausted and tired. And that definitely is a high risk factor for burnout. But what if um, I can work the hours that I want to work, but still be financially secure? One of the things that we can do is have a passive income. A lot of people are talking about passive income right now. But we can have our money make money instead of us or only us making money. And that's another strategy that could be used. I hope that this podcast have given all the brand new grads and also the not so brand new grads some food for thought and properly plan your first five years of practice from a financial security standpoint, because it will affect the rest of your career and your retirement. And if it's done right, hopefully that this will free up time for you and avoid the burnout that many of us older practitioners are currently facing. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.